Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, hello, hello. I knew you were going to do that. Of course I was. You said it and I had to say it. Welcome, everybody, to Broadway Breakdown, uh, a tradish episode today. You have Mr. Matt Koplik and... Mr. John Wascavage. You have both of your hosts today. Isn't that wonderful? I know. It's like, we should have a celebration. Celebrate. Okay, that was great. That was wonderful. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm great. I'm so happy to see your stupid whore face, John. I'm so happy to still have a stupid whore face. Mm. 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 Enjoy it while you can. Yeah. No, I'm so happy to see your face as well. Time uh, flies when we don't see each other. <laughs> I was about to say, time heals everything except missing you. Yeah. So sometimes it's just like I feel like I still see you too much even when I never see you. <laughs> it's I'm, true. I'm kidding. It's true. Well, I do flood people's Instagram stories all the damn time these days with my day job which is ending this weekend thank god oh yeah yeah so no more videos guys apologies about it oh, sad know. face sad face i mean you can still do videos i could it's just the not world a- the, like uh, the world is full of endless possibilities yes why do you need someone else's job for you to make procrastination videos or not procrastination videos why don't like- you think of that sentence one more time in your head then say it the way you want to say it no i don't okay. want to say it anymore well Lovely. How have you been, sir? Sick. <laughs> yes, you have. I've but been a good sick. sick. Less yeah, cancer no. sick, more normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sick. This is just like ho- this is holiday sick. This is um fall sick. This is just like allergies that turn into a lovely. I was we were just talking about um my ear. We were we were getting like really sexy like off off the record right before this. We were just like yeah, I have an earache. Mm. Oh, I was, said, mm, I was draining it the other day. <laughs> mm, drain yeah. me, daddy. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm doing well. I just rejoined kind of the workforce. Fo- the workforce? Join the workforce? <laughs> the workforce uh, back in the last two weeks. And so I was doing a workshop, which was really fun. Mm-hmm. I like just got the like, you can move after 12 weeks and don't have to worry about your intestines falling out. And so I was like, that's amazing. Congrats. So I was doing that. Um, and yeah, it was super tiring, but at the same time, it was like, I just felt like I was gaining a lot of strength back. Like, well, some of the first days of the workshop, I like went to do a little bit of a back bend and I couldn't move. And I was like, oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Like, I have no core strength. But 
now I'm roughly the size of a barge. I mean, I'm truly just like, I'm back to regular old muscle daddy me. And um, it feels great. Get, get it? <laughs> and now I'm already unemployed again. Like the workshop's over. Get, so I'm already, I, I've, that's I, a... I, I joined the workforce for um, 17 hours and it, what a joy it was. That's truly <laughs> why John is back because he's got nothing better to do. John couldn't record at all for the last two weeks, which is why we had Suddenly Seymour and then Melanie Brooke. Quick housekeeping, everybody. We had a Broadway World thread about us. Oh, yes, we did. Yes, because Miss <laughs> Melanie Brooke in our most recent episode, which has become our most listened to episode in less than a week, everybody. What? 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 We discussed Broadway World, and then it was posted by a few members. One, Lizzie Curry. Shout out, Miss Lizzie Curry. And then again, by another person. I already forgot the username, but they created the thread. There was a small discussion about it. They're mostly positive. One person did point out that I do say um a lot, which I do know that I do. And I'm going to try to... both do. Yeah, but I I spoke about this to my mother on Wednesday (laughs) when we saw Jagged Little Pill together. And she goes, here's the thing about it. What's weird when you say um, Matt, is that it's sort of a low guttural um, less, more people are going um, you know, and you're more like um, and I went, yeah, because the way my brain works is my brain moves pretty fast, just in terms of, not in terms of quickness, like I'm quick on my feet, but, or witty, just I, I think fast, it's speedy. Yeah. Thoughts come in, they there's come lots, out. There's lots of thoughts to rush in, I, see, I look into those eyes and all I see are just um, just... <laughs> I was going to say pain and panic, but... Yeah, yeah pain and panic. Pain and, and the, panic and and the muses And the muses and Sebastian and Flounder and Scuttle all rolled into There's one stupid gay. Yeah, there's so many words but, popping around in there. Yeah, so what happens is, is I will start a sentence and then the um is almost like my dial toner, like my hold, my hold signal, mm. busy signal, as I figure out the rest of the sentence. And when you listen to past episodes, you can sort of hear it. I say a sentence and I get halfway through and I go... Um, and then I say the rest of the sentence and it's pretty clear mm. and it became what I did because I was trying to stop myself from saying like so much yes. but then I replaced it was our biggest Achilles yes. heel still, and then is I, for me. still is for you but I stopped saying like as much but I started saying um a bunch so I'm going to try and do better everybody I apologize Broadway world but I also want to say one quick housekeeping thing two, no, sorry two things one Sir Jordan Catalano made a joke because I said about how when people say what their favorite shows are when they're you know a little on the younger side or newer to theater, and they say something like, oh, my favorite musical is Tuck Everlasting. Rather than ridicule them, say, okay, let's maybe lean into that and expand your knowledge of theater and expose you to more musicals. And he wrote, uh, if you're listening, Matt, if anyone who says Tuck Everlasting is their favorite musical ought to be ridiculed, to which I say, that's not fair, because that person's most likely 12. (laughs) So let's be very clear. I did not like Tuck Everlasting. It along with perhaps Jagged Little Pill, earned the prize for Most Useless Ensemble. Oh, foreshadowing mm. of opinions mm-hmm. that are to come in the later And the upcoming episode. Both of the Broadhurst Theater, the Broadhurst Theater, the Theater of Unnecessary Ensembles. Oh, wow. Yeah, but this is all to say, I agree Tucker Everlasting's not very good. I don't ridicule someone who mm. says it's their favorite because most likely they are a child and right. I want to help them learn more of the theater. That's what this podcast is for. Yeah, and it's Tuck Everlasting. They didn't say Finding Neverland. Yeah, ha, 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 ha. Also, one more thing. And I sent this to John the other day. Someone in the thread did say that they loved our podcast. They said, this is one of my favorite podcasts, blah, blah, blah. Uh, They go, especially when both Mike and John are on. 
<laughs> Listen, Chowd95, whose oh, who's avatar is, I can't even see right now because I screenshot it and it's blurry, but it's a black and white photo of three gays. Oh, it's from Kimmy Schmidt. It's the Daddy's Boy musical number with oh, Jefferson Mays, John Collin, and yes, yes, that yes. guy from Mormon. Um, Nick Rillo. Yes. Of course you would know. Listen, Chowd95, <laughs> I ask you. You were in, so angry today. In, in, in the vein of Miss Stacy Lane Matthews, that's that's the full name, right? Yes. Great. I was about, I was about to, I was about to combine Stacy Lane Matthews with Nicole Page Brooks, and that's not correct. No, no, no. that's not it, kid. In that the it, kid. in the iconic words of Stacy Lane Matthews, who the fuck is Mike? <laughs> who the fuck is Mike? Oh, Hashtag honey, justice for Mike. Honey, you will always be the Heather to me on this podcast. Who the fuck is Heather? I'm a... I, well, no. That means you're a booger. You think you're a booger? Yeah. Okay, I'll take that then. <laughs> Honey, I have no self-esteem. Join the fucking club. Although, I did recently get two pairs of pants from Gap for zero dollars, by the way, because I'm a coupon queen. Both 28-inch both waisted pants. There she is. There she is. She's officially hot enough to play a walk-on role in an off-Broadway musical. Almost. Billy, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. You're the top. You're a Coolidge. You also got a new review. It's a short one, but I made it a point in the last episode, and I know John doesn't know this because he doesn't listen to episodes that he's not in. Hey, not all the time. Sometimes I do. I guess. Depends on what I have going on that week. (laughs) Exactly. Are you in a reading? Can you do a backbend? Do you have core strength again? So I... Asked, I've been asking for a new review for a while because I've been wanting oh, to. Oh, no, you haven't. Fuck you, slut. I've been asking for a new review for a while, and in the most recent episode with Miss Melanie Brooke, we talked about how we knew each other, which was she did a reading of my series, and how in the finale, the character that I played does this giant five page drunken rant on The Little Mermaid, which I've like dipped into on this pod a couple of times, but never as fully as it was. And she said, You should do a reading of it. And I said, I will do a full blown reading. Like, with other actors and music and everything, if someone writes us a damn new review. And someone did. <clears throat> Sorry, wait. Light in the Piazza Overture. <laughs> Jay Pardon. Monday. Bravo! Exclamation point. Five stars. Miss Antelope Valley, your young American miss. I am obsessed. Thank you for this. Rhymed a little bit. So that was a smile reference, everybody. Uh, young, young American miss is a smile reference, as is Antelope Valley. That is uh, Robin in smile and so we thank you for that review and that five stars and we went from 20 uh uh to 20 ratings to 23 so that's nice hey yeah. thanks for rating guys yeah. well i know it's because we never ask for it well we, <laughs> no we're getting better po- at asking we are for every it. podcast asks for it and the truth is that it's it's an it's an algorithm the more ratings and more reviews you get the higher up you show on people's searches and in fact i did get an email from apple the other day saying that we were officially ranked in the performing arts or maybe it's just the arts uh category of podcasts yes not even just performing arts we're up there among with the fucking mona lisa do you want to know what number we are (laughs) um can i guess sure um no, wait, uh, how many, what, what, how, is it common knowledge of like how high up you have to be to be ranked or like where does the ranking I start? I don't, I didn't know that there was official ranking and I don't know where it starts. We, okay, then, just I'm said gonna, we were, then I'm going to guess 321. So much high, so much lower than that. It's like 1,200 or something like that. And I went, 
how many podcasts must there be for them to to rank us at this number? Mom, I'm 1200th place. I did it. We did it. (laughs) We are the year with Frog and Toad. Of a podcast. I was just talking about A Year with Frog and Toad this week. Because I I was telling the story about when I did it um, in the children's theater that was affiliated with my alma mater. And I played Toad, and Toad is one of the only characters that, like, has, like, a couple moments alone on stage. And it got to this moment where, like, in the show, I had the next five minutes all to myself, and this kid screamed out. Like, I went to, like, turn, like, taking a breath to start a monologue, and this kid from the back of the theater screamed, I don't want to be here! And I think I've told that story before on here, but I think it's always worth retelling. Um, Because theater heals. Yeah. Theater brings people together. I mean... Especially by force. If the roles were reversed and you were that 10-year-old in the audience watching Frog and Toad, and Toad is about to do a monologue, I know that in that moment you would have shouted, Wreck me, Daddy! Probably. You know what I just saw and I still don't believe? Mm-mm. The new Cats trailer. Yeah, no, that one, um, I was reading an article about it the other day because I've only ever seen Cats once because that was enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I forgot that half, that there's this whole thing and part of the reason why people love Cats is because of all the unspoken... I love that it's a story that people love because of what doesn't happen in it. <laughs> What's not talked about. I, I, you, you know, you know yeah. what I mean? I remember people people telling me a couple years ago about the whole backstory, and I think we've discussed it on here as well in the past before, where the the ballerina is supposed to have been raped, raped by, by McCavity. And, and, and it's just... <laughs> No, that is that, that, that would be that would be like the whole musical of Les Mis, but like everything happening the moment after. Yeah. So Fantine is fired. That would just be like everyone showing up at Fantine's funeral, but no one's there. Yeah. And it's like I I heard a lot of stuff happened. <laughs> um, it's actually it's not even the white ballerina cat. It's the cat that actually sings McCavity and like throughout the show is always going McCavity. That is that's the one who. So gets right. But that's that's Trevor Nunn's like interpretation. It's not in the fucking script. That's what he like tells the actors. He's like, You were raped by McCavity, which is why you always shout McCavity. But this whole the whole thing that the trailer talks about is like the plot. Correct? Yeah. That, that, that's yeah. The, well, first of all, let's okay. The so, plot that's not really discussed in the show. It's it's the so <laughs> It's alluded to <laughs> That was me trying to figure out how to even begin with this whole clusterfuck garbage fire. Yes, Katz has the barest, thinnest John and me stuffed into a pair of jeans plotline. It is essentially a bunch of cats get together for a giant dance orgy. Yes. And that, and one of them gets to uh, go to the afterlife and... But also then get re- be reborn. Cause right. Because every cat has nine, nine lives. lives. So they get to have a new life and start again and supposedly have a better life. And the whole show is essentially each one of their vaudevillian auditions for Deuteronomy to choose. Which is weird because Deuteronomy doesn't show up in the show until like 20, 30 minutes in. Yeah. So like who are they auditioning for before that? Questions. Mm. But it's also kind of forgotten for the longest time because then Deuteronomy gets kidnapped but then brought back back somehow and Grizabella just keeps coming in as the AIDS cat and it's weird and the movie 
apparently, is really taking that plot line and bringing it to the forefront. Because in this newest trailer, which is shorter than the first trailer, but has nine times the amount of dialogue. So than in, much talking. So much talking. More talking in that minute and a half trailer than what is in the two and a half hour musical Cats. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, like milk. Full on, <laughs> milk. <laughs> milk. <laughs> and there's like a Jarring. conversation with McCavity and Deuteronomy. I judge a cat by... I watched it this morning, so I remember the dialogue a little better. I judge a cat by its soul. I have plenty of soul. Going to the bowl could be dangerous. Yeah. Could get dangerous, I think, is actually what he says, which is worse. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, we've all... I I, I feel... We've all accepted it's going to be a a nightmare. (laughs) You know? A little bit, yeah. It's going to be truly um, a test of spirit, a test of... A test of, you know what? This past decade's thrown a lot of shit at you. Mm-hmm. Let's see if we could throw one final curveball at you, and before we get into the before we get into the twenty twenty, um, I think we all just have to accept that as long as we all go in in some kind of altered state, be that drunk, be that with an edible, like, yeah. You know, whoever goes to cats with a very true. Um, kind of excited heart is the purest of us all. The rest, we are the jaded ones. Yeah. And <laughs> we, we just have to accept that we're going in for it for the wrong reasons. And I kind of think they've accepted it too and are just leaning the F into it. I hope they do. <laughs> I view going into a screening of cats with people like Woody and the gang in Toy Story 3 when they're in the garbage heap going into the fire, and Jesse says, what do we do, Woody? And they all just hold hands as they go in. Yeah, I mean, Taylor Swift's uniboob. The, Taylor Swift's <laughs> uniboob! <laughs> I mean, the the screenshot of Jennifer Hudson as as the, as Grisabella, Grisabella the from glamour the first sla- trailer. The glamour slash AIDS cat, yeah. Oh my god, it, there's just so many moments that just... Rebel Wilson. Rebel Wilson and James Corden both doing fat jokes because we're still there. Yeah, it's... There's also one word. Who was it? Not Jason Derulo. Milk! Oh, Judy Dench as Deuteronomy with the coat that's also her skin. I know. A lot of questions. And and I totally get the perspective of, you know, these are... They're the size that a cat would be. But cats' arms and legs also don't move that way, so it it, it, it looks so weird to me. That's the thing, though. <laughs> it's is so that, disturbing. It takes. I mean, obviously, it takes suspension of disbelief, Avi. Well, but and so did the show. But there's a difference between when you're in a theater watching people be cats and then in a movie. Yes. Oh, completely. And the the design of it is really just the design from the stage show, but with CGI fur instead of yes. the makeup and costumes. So it's even weirder. It's such an uncanny valley. They literally just look like aliens. I'm yeah, they do. They, uh, there's, there's no beating around that cat push. Billy, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. You're the top. You're a Coolidge dollar. I have seen three Broadway shows since yes. we last recorded together. And what a trifecta of... Um, Kind of epic, epic yeah, shows. Pretty epic shows epic with a lot of talking, a lot of talking points. Yes, abortion. Uh, no, of epic proportion. Oh, I thought he said. I thought, I thought. I thought he said about abortion, and I went, "What? No." Plot twist. Plot <laughs> twist. Yes, I saw 
Slave Play. Yes. The Inheritance. Yes. And Jagged Little Peel. Mm. Mm. I could go in the order, which that order, which is the order of which I saw it. I think I'm going to do Jagged Little Pill first, then Slave Play, then The Inheritance, because you saw The Inheritance, and we can discuss about that a little longer. Sure. Also, I, it'll be hard to discuss Slave Play with you and not spoil a bunch of it, because... Yeah, I also don't think we should spoil it for our, our, our listeners well, either. So, I will, I will, as I edit this, I will figure out at what points we talk about each piece, and then yeah. when it ends, and I will put that in the description of, if you want to avoid spoilers, jump to this part. Cool. Um... Not that I will put in that many spoilers for the first two since you haven't seen them, but, you know, I, I, I want to be able to still discuss them with you. Sure. So I'll start with Jagged Little Pill. And I just want to immediately say Jagged Little Pill is the jukebox musical with Alanis Morissette songs with a book by Diablo Cody, Oscar winner of Juno, and Oscar denied for Jennifer's Body, and directed by Diane Paulus. So, you know... And I know, and our mm. listeners know, that we have a lovely game that we sometimes do, Jukebox That Musical. Yes. I believe all future Jukebox musicals that are not bio Jukebox musicals, not like Ain't Too Proud or Tina, yeah. but ones where there's a story tied together with songs, I believe have officially been ruined for me forever now because of that game. Ah. So watching Jagged Little Pill reminded me... Very much of Brunette's The Musical. And so emotional. I almost had a feeling that it it was going to strike too close to home. A little too close, yeah. Almost like maybe they listened to this podcast and and got the wrong lessons from it. Plagiarism. Plagiarism. Rumor, 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 rumor. I mean, she already got stolen by Broadway World with Backstage Bites. She might as well get stolen by Diane Paulus as well. Yeah. I'm going to keep bringing it up. Hashtag justice for baking it on Broadway. Hashtag justice, justice for, for Mike. Mike. <laughs> this episode feels su- like such a Frankenstein. It is. It's fine. But speaking of things that feel like a Frankenstein, Jagged, Jagged Little, Little Pill. Pill. Okay. Yes. So. Tell me Tell me more. Yes. Tell me more. So, okay. First does of all. Does it get very far? <laughs> no. It thinks it does. First of all, as I said before, I try not to shit on people's feelings about shows. Every Art in general is subjective, right? You can argue for anything. Yes. I've made it a very big point that Finding Neverland is the one where I'm like, no, you can't argue it. And I would even say Pretty Woman. But I also wasn't there for either I wasn't there for either gestation period. So who's to say? Maybe they did work hard. Yeah. Jagged Little Pill, it's very clear that they did work hard on it, but also I can't rightfully tell you that it's any good. And if anyone were to tell me that it was, I would perhaps think a little less of them. Only <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I would. <laughs> Just oh, wow. your opinion truly does inform me that you are trash. <laughs> well, yeah. to be perfectly honest, yeah, yeah. Here's the thing. You have awful taste. You, Thank wow, you, for you your have, friendship. You have awful taste. Well, so first of all, I've never seen a show that's been so proud of itself uh, than Jagged Little Pill. I do have, I do take umbrage with things that find itself so precious. Yeah, not even precious, just like... Or important. Yes. They, they, like the OA. Yes, they have, they have been touting themselves as, like, the most woke musical of the century. Yes. And in that sense, sure, they cover a lot of topics. All right. They cover sexual assault, and they cover pill addiction, and interrelationships, and and kind of homosexuality, and (laughs) gender norms, but not really at the same time. It's just, like, stick a toe in it. (laughs) Well, there there are a minimum of about 12,000 plot lines in Jagged Little Pill, which means none of them get 
enough time to do any of them justice. Sure. It's a lot of after-school specials where yes. we get the endings for them. And on top of that, speaking of unnecessary ensembles, there it was a full 30 minutes into Act 1 before I realized what time period we were in, because whereas Elizabeth Stanley had an iPhone and a MacBook, the ensemble was dressed like it was 1997 Seattle. So what time period was it? Present day. Okay, cool, cool, cool. But I believe the ensemble... This is my interpretation take it as you will and maybe they actually thought they were dressing the ensemble in modern day clothes but i doubt it because the show's supposed to take place in like 2018 2019 connecticut a lot of flannel a lot of jumpers a lot of baggy pants and 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 off the shoulder t-shirts that are just not very modern day yeah but they talk about so (sighs) so there's literally i don't know where to begin with this show you could argue that the main characters are the main family, the next normal family, what have you. Elizabeth Stanley is the mother with pill addiction. I don't remember the name of the actor who plays the father, but I actually quite liked him, considering the fact that the part was so underwritten. Derek Lena as the golden boy's son, who literally could cut that part and nothing would change about the show. Or rather, you can make his part a secondary character that's not part of the family and nothing would change. Huh. And then the adopted daughter, who's bisexual, I guess, but sure. not really. I call it like we did with Shondaland characters sexual inconsistency okay and so uh, those are the four mains and then to find out elizabeth stanley was in a car crash earlier that year and to and got hooked on her pain medication okay but then they also announced in the beginning of act two sometimes a, a severe physical accident or like severe physical trauma can trigger repressed memories from people that were traumatizing in the past as well. Uh-huh. And so you understand then, or you're supposed to understand, I suppose, that Elizabeth Stanley's character had a trauma in her youth 20 years prior, which is why I believe the ensemble is dressed like it's the late 90s, because they're like constantly reminding her uh, of her trauma. Sure, sure, sure. But like, are they? There is a number in Act One where Elizabeth Stanley, she her, the pharmacy will not renew her prescription because it's something that you need a doctor to sign off on. You need a new prescription every time. So like we can't do an automatic uh, refill. So she apparently has a dealer that has been uh, gone on unacknowledged. So it's all very odd. Again, inconsistencies. And so she, she's like, I'm just, I'm going to text him. I'm going to text him. She literally says this out loud to herself. She then says out loud what her text is. And then she reads his text to her out loud to the audience. So she's like, are you in town? Okay. Okay. He's typing. He's typing. I will meet me behind the alleyway. I'll be there in 10 minutes. He's coming. It's okay. He's coming. He's coming. I I'm right around the corner. Okay. He's coming like all this. And she's walking around just waiting for him while this is happening. An ensemble member walks past her, another ensemble member pushes a baby carriage, and then another ensemble member jumps rope across the stage over the course of two minutes. Yeah. To which I, I said out loud, what? Maybe nine times over the course of this show. Then she gets the dealer who's like a 19-year-old on a skateboard. He comes, sure. he comes in on a skateboard. Okay. Gets, whispers into her ear and she goes, oh, this is something new? It's laced with something stronger? Okay. L- literally. Literally, oh, no. he goes off. She takes oh, the pill. Honey. She takes. Well, oh, sorry. Then some. It's behind. It's an alleyway, alleyway behind a coffee shop, and the attendant at the coffee shop comes out to take out the trash while Elizabeth Stanley takes the pill. All this, you're like, what's the point? Then she takes the pill, and then well, everything gets done in reverse. So the person from the coffee shop removes the trash bag. The person jumping rope jumps rope backwards, and eventually we go through her whole day, like 
meeting with friends, going to a spin class, going to the grocery store, all in reverse because she's, you know, reliving her day now, but without the pain, I suppose. But it's as if Diane Paulus saw Hamilton, saw the rewind before Satisfied and said, what if we did that for the whole number? Because uh. it honestly just felt like a staging coup rather than anything important to the story. And every and it wasn't cool enough to justify the weirdness of those two minutes while she's just standing there while people walk past her in total silence doing those random things. Yeah. That's... Very strange. Hmm. On top of that. So there's that. Then there's a sexual assault plot line that comes at the end of Act One after a party from a character played by Catherine Gallagher that we have spent a total of five seconds with. And then she becomes... Not a main character, but a focal point of the plot for the rest of Act 2. Okay. Which is odd because, we, again, we spend very little time with her. And I sure. do want to actually give major kudos to Catherine Gallagher for playing a part that has very little stage time, very little material, and is honestly written to be a symbol of victimhood, mm-hmm. victimization, what have you, and really doing her damnedest to make her a fully formed character. Mm. I was very impressed with that. She is a very talented gal. There is, however, is. a number where they relive the party in Act 2 and watch her go from being a partygoer to getting too drunk to essentially getting raped. And the image they have of her getting raped is essentially being a fly caught in a spider's web. So it's she's lying on the bed, but the bed is upright. So we're viewing her as okay. if we're like on the ceiling. And we see the guy who uh, raped her standing at the edge of the stage facing her. And it's a very powerful image for a second until he proceeds to get on all fours and crawl towards her like a spider and then move around her like an animal. And I went, oh, because the imagery wasn't subtle enough? Oh, it was was too subtle for us, Diane Paulus? We needed to make him a literal spider? I felt very bad because it was supposed to be a serious moment and rape is not a laughing matter. But when he got down on all fours, I actually went, Ugh. Oh no. I I could not. Um, But again, Catherine Gallagher, well done. Also, I'm not sure what they thought they were trying to accomplish because then her plotline just ends with a protest done by the daughter of the family for Catherine Gallagher. It's like meant to be this cause because the daughter and the family is adopted. She has a new cause to celeb every week with her friend played by Lauren Patton, who at first you think might be a lesbian, but then it's like kind of implied that she might be trans, but maybe not or gender neutral. Very much is unsaid. And again, because there are a million plot lines, every character basically has their plot for five minutes and then they leave us for 15 and then they come back for five. And it's like, oh, right, I'm supposed to care about you. Mm. A lot of exposition because in this show, they're like, exposition means that you know enough about me that you can care about me. Yes. But no, 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 no. Caring about a character is spending time with them yeah. and learning their idiosyncrasies and things like that. I Something that I clicked in when I watched uh, the new episode of The Good Place this week. I don't know if you watched yep, it yet. I'm caught up. With, so the whole the thing cheaty. with Chidi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that we spent three seasons with him, but also this whole episode with Chidi in The Good Place, we see flashes of his life, just mm-hmm. who he is and how he's been. So in those last 15 seconds with the note, the there is no answer, but Eleanor is the answer, because we know all this stuff about him just by seeing him, by mm-hmm. being with him, it's impactful. It would be very different if we had like a six-minute monologue of exposition. It yeah. would feel cheaper. And that is sort of, with Jackie Little Pill, all the characters' backstories is these are these... Bits of exposition and then two seconds of, here we are in this scene. No, thank you. Also, so the daughter has this cause to celeb with Lauren Penn. I'm sorry. If this seems all over the place, guys, it's because the show's all over the place. And I apologize, but that's the show. 
So she and Lauren Patton make it their their cause to support Catherine Gallagher, have her voice, have her story told. But then, in Act Two, Act Two begins, and the daughter basically forgets about this because she likes a boy in her class because he liked a poem she wrote, which is her singing "Ironic." She goes, "Isn't uh, how does that go?" It's like rain, like she sings that as her poem in class, and everyone's like, "That's not irony." Which, sure, whatever. And so she likes him. She ditches Lauren Patton immediately and just, and opens Act 2 by fucking this boy. But then Lauren Patton somehow manages to end up in the daughter's bedroom watching them fuck. And so the daughter, like, then shames her parents for shaming her. And she decides she's going to run away to New York. But New York is too scary for her. So she asks Lauren Patton to pick her up. And Lauren Patton then sings, You Ought to Know to Her. Which I had been told was, like, the I'm here of the show that Lauren Patton had been getting standing ovations at every performance. Let me say, it's the kind of some some people stood in my performance, but not I would say not even a third, maybe a fourth, maybe a fourth people stood. But the reason for this is when the number is over, the cast is at the edge of the stage staring at the audience and just waiting. Same thing that happened at the end of. Um, a friend like me in Aladdin or a musical and something run where the cast just stood there and let the applause go on Mm -hmm. and basically would not move until they got a standing ovation. Hmm. And so the cast stood there and the audience applauded. And then slowly like one or two people stood up, then about 20 or 30. And then when it became very clear, it was going to be no more than that. Then they moved and I got very pissed off, but also the number pissed me off because it starts off and it's Lauren Patton. It's very John Doyle. Lauren Patton is singing it to the daughter, but she's staring at the audience Mm -hmm. and she's not moving. And it's very dropped in and centered and she sounds great. And the anger she has is wonderful. Even if I don't buy it because we hadn't seen that character in 20 minutes. The first half of the song is fantastic. Then Diane Paulus is like, we need the ensemble on stage. So they all come on stage posing. They, they're like posing at each other like two gangs it's i don't understand the imagery and maybe i'm too stupid but they're staring at each other like gangs and then they all flail around like it's american idiot on steroids on a you 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 i don't know and i'm talking like lauren Patton is swinging her head back and forth all over the place she sounds great but i'm just i'm standing there going just let lauren Patton do the song she's good enough yeah like i was in it for the first half, and then that ensemble came on, and everybody's flailing, or flailing around. It's like if Diane Paul were to direct Dreamgirls, and I am telling you, should have that entire ensemble come around and like move Effie around like it's a Alexander Technique exercise. <laughs> she would not let Jennifer Holiday alone on stage. She was like, mm, "Audiences are too stupid now. We need to give them a lot of people." It's like, mm. no, yes, audiences are stupid, but if you force feed them stupidity, they will become stupid. You, you know, force them to do better by giving us better shit. So that pissed me off. Yeah, this is all to say, I, yeah, did I hate it? Yes, absolutely. Do I, would I love to hear an argument about it? Sure, please, somebody write in the comment section how I'm wrong and stupid. Please, please, please do that. I can't find a way to endorse this show, one bit. Other than the fact that, oh, actually, no, I can one thing, one thing, sorry, one thing. We talked about this in- Sure, go ahead. The great casting (laughs) epidemic on Broadway that we talked about. This is the first Broadway musical I've seen where it is true diversity. And I don't just mean skin color. I mean body shapes and body types and mm. facial types. Like, yes, there are some hot people in there that, or rather I should say, what society has told us for the last 30 years is hot. Mm. There are larger people. There are thinner people. There are muscular. There are non-muscular. 
literally every type of person that I've encountered in the last five or six years, I've, I saw on that stage. And that was wonderful to see. And they're all so incredibly uniquely talented. So that was wonderful. And to see them embrace that was wonderful. The rest of the show, not so much. Not here for. Sorry, Jagged Little Pill, you get a boot from me. All right. Well, <laughs> that was um, a very vague and very just like non-opinionated opinion. I would love to get proven <laughs> wrong. Please, somebody argue it to me because I I was sitting there very annoyed. I was very mad. I was very mad because I I I also I saw it with my mom and I asked her what she thought and she was like, "Well, it was kind of a mess, wasn't it?" I went, "Yeah, yeah," and she goes, "So is the friend a lesbian or is she transgender?" And I went, "Yeah." Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's like they say, it's like a crawling spider person <laughs> on your jukebox musical wedding day, you know? <laughs> Isn't it ironic? Isn't it ironic? Um, all right. Yeah. Cool. So well, let's... Slave Play, how yeah. was that? <laughs> right, I'll move into Slave Play. I'll talk about Slave Play very quickly, because you haven't seen it yet, and I don't want to yeah, spoil would, too I, much of it for you. Yeah, I definitely plan on seeing it, so I don't want to be spoiled. Yeah, it's, I will say... My so I am a person who is white, as we know, and male. Shocking. Well, so what I mean by that is watching slave. There were moments in slave play that I can understand that if I were a person of color, if I were a woman, even if the moment may not be well written or well structured, it would be a very visceral experience mm. for me to watch anyway. Same thing with Significant Other. I've said it before. I can't tell you if Significant Other is a good play. It was just so emotional for me to watch because it was just so close to home mm. i can't even i can't read it and tell you about structure or character development i just can't it's a blind spot i can imagine slave play being that for some people mm. um i think it is super thought-provoking makes a lot of interesting points and it is wonderfully acted mm. i don't think it's actually a very good play i found it to be rather messy and poorly constructed but that was me just staring at it objectively. There is a solid hour of the play where all the characters are just sitting in chairs talking and everybody gets a monologue at some point. And I just don't find that dramatically compelling. Mm. It became a panel in a way. It was a very interesting thesis that did not work for me. And I should also mention, I do believe Jeremy O'Harris wrote the play that he set out to make. I, I think... This is the product he wanted. And that is something to commend because as a writer, that's really hard to do. Mm -hmm. To have an idea for something and then to carry out the way you want it to. Didn't really work for me. But I do recommend it because I. it's one of those things where it's going to be a very different reaction from everybody. It is well written in the sense of the language. There's a lot of wonderful dialogue that goes on into it and, and certain word choices. And I went, what a wonderful word to use in that moment. Or lines were very poetic. And these thoughts that... I also agree with the basic theme of the play again without there's a major twist that happens about 30 minutes in and I won't give it away. But the basic theme of the play is how in this current woke culture, it's almost as if we've put a very beautiful quilt over the garbage pile that is our world's history of race relations. Mm. And we haven't truly dealt with the nasty messiness of it. Mm. And thus we get confused when this sort of toxic bile is seeping through this quilt that we've put over it and confused when it's, when we say to each other, I don't see your skin color. I just see you Mm. because even if we want to still be just seen as a human being, what we are informs who we are just, just based off of our life journey. Sure. And I know 
as a white man that I can be empathetic and I can listen all I want. I will never know. I will never truly know what it means to be a person of color in this world. And I can I can never truly understand that journey. I can understand to a degree and I can always listen. I'm always willing to listen. But I've known for a very long time. There's actually, it's stupid, but there's a South Park episode about this from like 11 years ago where the one black character, Token, gets offended by the N-word being said accidentally by somebody. And one of the characters, Stanny's like, I get it, you know, I'm, I'm here for you and I get it. And, to- and what frustrates Stan is Token's always like, no, you don't get it. You don't get it. And Stan keeps on trying to come back with an argument saying how he gets it. And finally, by the end of the episode, Stan's like, I get it. I don't get it. Yeah. And Token's like, yeah, you get it now. He's like, yeah, I'll never get it. Yeah. I totally get that now. And that's true. It's so true. And I don't think people like to hear that. People want to think that they know everything. Completely. And, we'll, and we never will. And same thing with being a woman. I will never understand the the visceral reaction you can get from watching a woman be put into a physical position that is threatening. I mm-hmm. I can find it painful and hurtful because it's a terrible situation to be in, but it's a very different mm-hmm. reaction. That's just chemical. So I want people to see it. I want people to form their own opinions. I think it's a very interesting work in general. Mm. And w- while I did not like it, I love the, I almost, I admire the messiness of it because mm. it is a bunch of, choices that I never would have made or thought to have made about a subject that I would love to have more discussion on and works about. So in that sense, yes, uh, I did not like it, but I fully recommend it. Fair. All right. Thank you. <laughs> that, w- that was a nice, I thought that was pretty eloquent. Did I say um a lot? Um, I wasn't listening. No, Shut I'm... up. You're so mean to me. <laughs> no, I, I thought that was, that was great and very, um, calm compared to <laughs> well jagged little pillow made me angry slave play didn't make me angry it was yeah and i was very i was very excited to see it also full disclosure everybody i said this to sutton when we recorded but i cut it for time full disclosure so i saw jagged little pillow with my mother i saw slave play on a date oh because i mean well to be fair i was already going to see it and then the guy was asking what i was doing that night i said i'm seeing slave play he goes oh, i want to see that so we were able to get him a ticket as well we sat a little further apart from each other. So that was the good thing. But like when I told Sutton that, when I told Prescott that, he was like, of course you're seeing Slave play on a date. It's like, you would. You absolutely would. Yeah. Like, yeah, of course. Yeah, I know that tracks. I mean, I've That seen- tracks. The distance between the two of you while on a date, that tracks. Yeah. <laughs> I will also say, this has officially become the season of peen, everybody. The season of the peen. Because Agreed. I, this is the fourth play that I've seen this season that has peen in it. Frankie and Johnny the Claire de Lune, Linda Vista, peen, Slave peen, Play, peen, and The Inheritance. Peen. And then Take Me Out comes out later this year, and that has peen. Paul Alexander Nolan peen in Slave Play, which is very important. Wow, there's just going to be... I mean, finally, at least in that sense, the theater world is catching up to what the people want. <laughs> yeah, listen, Kelly O'Hara showed her, showed her breasts in Dracula for no reason. This is comeuppance. Yeah. Men need to pay it forward. I saw, And I saw her breasts in... Uh... Uh, light, Br- not, not light Bridges. The Bridges. Yes. <laughs> not Light in the Piazza. <laughs> yeah, you know, I want to see that production. That really famous scene where Claire was just like, <laughs> the beauty my is. Milk, my, my milk. milk. <laughs> my, my milk. milk. What milk? My milkshake? What milkshake? <laughs> Can you just imagine at the end of the beauty is, she goes, someone, she just rips open her top. Yeah. Just beautiful. Yeah, that but, show would have run twice as long if, if she had done that. Um, 
And then, well, so let's get to our final peen of the, the, of the final evening. peen. <laughs> the inheritance. The inheritance. So you finally saw it. I did finally see I've it. I've already shared some thoughts about it mm-hmm. um, in a previous app. Yes. And I'm going to need you to remind me on some of them. There are a couple that I remember, but I need you to remind me on some of them because it was a long time ago and I don't listen to you either. Yeah, no, no, it's okay. I don't either. So to be honest, uh, you're just going to have, maybe we'll have to chime in or I'll have to chime in as you go because sure. I don't know if I remember the show at all. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> was that the one where um, they were on roller skates, right? Yeah. That's Great. the one where Carrie Butler came out and she went, Xanadu. Yes, The Inheritance. Gay course, rights. Naturally. Yes. Um, so tell me about your experience. I um, saw inheriting, it. Inheriting the inheritance. Gay trauma. <laughs> I saw it with my 88-year-old grandmother. We went on a marathon day. Ooh. Yes. Marathon day, baby. I, overall, I liked The Inheritance. There are times when it is breathtaking. There are other times when it's a bit of a question mark. Mm. It is a, it is 100% too long. It does not need to be a two-part play. If they really wanted to make it epic, I would. you could easily cut two hours out of it and make it just, you know, a Eugene O'Neill Surely. four-act play. Yep. I think it would, it would streamline it. It would be better. I am currently reading Howard's End to get some more perspective on it because the play is both a very loose adaptation of, as well as an homage to Howard's End. And yeah, Ian I mean, it, re- it really is so similar in so many aspects to to The Hours, which is what I yeah. did not realize. And just in the sense of of, of that. Yeah, yeah, being about it the, while the also... The framing being... device while being its own reality. Yes, yeah. exactly. I, I will start with the immediate positives that I just want to get out of the way before we go into the discussions. I do think it is exceptionally well-staged um, and, and well-directed for the most part. Because I also, when I went to go get Howard's End at the Strand, there was a copy of The Inheritance, and I briefly skimmed through it just to sort of get an idea of what the dialogue was like, how it was written. And moments that I remember so clearly in the play are not necessarily in the script. They are moments that the actors and the director clearly came up with. Yes. Um, For example, at the very beginning, the whole, the play starts with a bunch of men, barefoot, obviously. Uh, Well, they're barefoot the whole play. The whole play. Unless someone takes... um... There's a status change. Yes. Someone puts on shoes. Exactly. Yes, it's very, it's very on the nose, but it's fine. It's fine. They're all standing, they're all sitting around writing on laptops, on notebooks or whatever. And they are discussing with E.M. Forster, Morgan in the play, about what they're trying to write, how they're all trying to tell their stories. And they come to talk about Howard's End for a quick second. And in the play, the character that's going to become the character Toby because everybody plays multiple roles, except, yeah. except for maybe two people. Everybody plays multiple roles. The character that also plays the character of Toby says, I don't get it. He's like, it's, I mean, it's well-written. It's a good book. And like, don't get me wrong. The movie's amazing. And before he finishes the word amazing, one of the characters goes, <clears throat> and like shakes his head, like, don't even talk about the movie version of a book. And the audience laughs. It's not that way in the actual script. In the script, it's actually, the movie's amazing, but I feel like, and so I read that and went, oh, I remember very distinctly that being a very funny moment in the play that clearly mm-hmm. came from the actors and the director, like, probably working with the text. Sure. Um, so I liked that. I thought overall it's very well acted. I agree with you about the one actor that I really did not... I, he did not give... I believe you said it was, like, the worst performance you've ever seen on a Broadway stage. I would not go so far as to say that. Um, I don't know if I said those exact words. So you said something but, along those lines. It was definitely... It was. Uh, yeah, it was definitely... Uh, 
there there was just a there was a big difference between because I agree some of the acting and it was truly fantastic yes and and, and it just stuck out to me. Uh, you know, he's he's far and away the weakest person in the cast. The person you were talking about for a second, I thought you were discussing the actor who played Toby because you said the hottest one, and for me, the actor who played Toby was the hottest. And I was watching, and I was like, I think he's exceptional. Oh, I don't know no, who John's he's, talking about. He's, he's exceptional. Yes, and then, no. but then when the actor who played Adam slash Leo got naked, I went, oh, that's who John meant. And he is very attractive. He's got a beautiful body. And my grandmother did think that he was the most attractive one in the cast. But I thought it was Toby. But maybe it's because it was also a talent crush. I don't know. But so, yeah, so I want I will say that. The actor who plays Toby is great. The actor who plays Eric is mostly great. There were a couple of moments where I found he kind of leaned into the preciousness of the character. Um, and there are moments where it's really, truly beautifully written moments, which is why when there are other moments that are not as well written, it kind of frustrated me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to point out the, when you talked about the word special, how someone talks about the character of Eric, two different people say, when will you see how special you are? And then the character of Adam says, you're truly remarkable. Don't you know that? And then there's a moment in part one where they say, Eric, didn't think he was special, but he's wrong. He was special. I hear you on one level, and you are and you are right about the overuse of the word special in general. Mm-hmm. The words like special and love and beautiful, I find, are so overly used that they basically have lost their meaning. I call it generic hyperbole. Sure. Where it's these words that mean something nice. But they're so nondescript that, like, what do they even really mean? Mm-hmm. And so using the word special, it's it's subjective. It's like, well, what the fuck does special even mean anyway? How is he special? The two characters in the actual play play that use the word special and remarkable to him, I thought it was intentional that those were the two characters who were the most full of shit. The character of Henry Wilcox, who's the billionaire who's unable to connect and basically says whatever he needs to say to get what he wants. And then mm-hmm. the character of Adam, who's essentially a sociopath. So when they say the word special and remarkable to him, it was almost sort of like, a, I'm bullshitting you. So I can either in the case of Adam feel better about myself as I walk away from this whole clusterfuck fire or the character of Henry, who's like, I'm saying this to you. So that way you will give me what I want. Maybe that wasn't Matthew Lopez's intention. That's what I got from it. But I also think that them using the word special in the narration, because there's a lot of narration in the show, I thought that undercut some of the character. Because I did find the character of Eric to be rather endearing in the sense that he was someone who's trying to find the connection with everything. Obviously, the inheritance, the link between it all. Yes. Yes. I said it with um, Melanie last week. There's a scene in part two when they're having the political discussion with Henry and Eric is going, I'm trying to find the link between what you're saying, what Henry is saying. And they're going, there is no link. And he goes, but there has to be. Because if there isn't, we will fall apart and we can't fall apart. We can't afford to do that right now. And I liked the idea of that. That's yeah. something that I try to do a lot in my life. So I, I connected to that a lot. Um, I will go into more stuff about that with Howard's End in a second. But I want you to rebuff me on all that. Um, I've, talked, I've been talking a lot. I want you to talk more. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree with so much of, of what you're saying, and I totally see the validity in it. And, like, I think what was hardest for me was that right after... I, I think I was the first person who saw the show, at least that I was aware of, who had any kind of, like, experience that was not, oh, my gosh, this is the next Indles in America. Yeah. So I think my first reaction to it with, like, filming, uh, with recording so close to when I first saw it, I think I was, like, quite 
harsh about it mm-hmm. in a lot of ways too. Um, because I think I was just frustrated because there are like it, it's totally what you said. There are so many moments that are really, really well written, and then there are so many moments that are just so blaringly just weaker. It, yeah, it, it, absolutely. It, it, and, and so it's so frustrating because it's this. It has a chance to be. I think what everyone kind of says it is. I, sure. I just don't think it's fully successful in being that. And and I totally get what you're saying about the whole special thing. It, it, th- those were just like the red flags that were really set off for me when I saw it. Yeah. And it, it, I do think the comparisons to Angels in America is really poor. because I, I Well, it's unfair. It's very unfair. Too. Well, and the only reason it really is compared to it is because it's a two-parter and it's uh, a very gay play and mm-hmm. re- and relates to the AIDS crisis. It's not about the AIDS crisis, but it discusses it very much so. Um, Angels in America, I think, truly justifies its length because it goes so wide in scope and so deep yes. into its subject. Exactly. Um, and it's, I mean, it, what it does theatrically, just with not, I mean, and yes, inheritance does double casting, but like. Angels in America does gender bending and different mm-hmm. species and goes to the afterworld and beyond and has the ghost of Ethel Rosenberg mm-hmm. and different languages and political discussions, but also emotional discussions. And it makes you care about the characters before it goes into the metaphysical I mean, stuff. It's a, it's a fantasia. It is on <laughs> national themes. Yes, it is. It's just, it's, but also Angels in America isn't the kind of play that doesn't happen often oh completely yes it, it truly broke through to create new works john was about to sneeze it, it was about to that created new works like it uh-huh. <laughs> john is he's listening but he's trying to sneeze really badly so i'm gonna keep talking yeah, to again keep going. to help him through this keep going there there are moments in the inheritance where i thought to myself this is a really beautifully written speech or this is a wonderful idea and like the way that they staged the sex scene in the beginning of part one between the character of Eric and Toby, I was, I thought was really inventive and clever. Did it go on too long? Absolutely. But that's the play. The whole play goes on too long. There are also so many moments in that play where I went, what a beautiful monologue that you could totally cut. Yeah. And actually, I want to circle around to one thing earlier because we were were talking about that one performance. And it's funny because we were talking about it via text after you saw it. And, you know, you were like, oh, like, I see what you mean. But it's funny because I do think that that one monologue that he has is so amazing. And that was that's the one where he's in the German bathhouse or the. Yeah. And that's what was so frustrating to me, too, is I was like. I was like, there you are, Peter, you know, and then, and then, then, um, yeah, Peter Pan flew away. <laughs> I didn't, I mean, I didn't even truly love that monologue, but there's the, the piece itself is very theatrical in its writing and its staging and its acting, because the idea behind it is almost like, as you said, very, the hours where it is people discussing a book while also their lives parallel the book, but they're also inventing the story as they live it. Right, because they're also, aware that they're fiction. Yes, or, is... or or that they're a fiction based off of a reality. Yeah. So there's only so much about their lives that they can change, right. or their, about their story. It's, a, it's honestly a combination of The Hours and Into the Woods and Angels in America. If all that had a baby, it would kind of be The Inheritance, kind of. Because there's also... I see that. And a, a lot of the direction, not the staging, but the direction... I mean, it's, it, 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 it's mirrored in the staging, but in terms of the way the actors are directed to be, at least for part one, is almost like it's an improv class. The way they Very dis- much like that. The way they discuss their characters, each time a new character is introduced, they come up with these things about themselves, and everybody's like, yes, and. But then there are times when E.M. Forster, who is the narrator for part one, before 
you know, leaving, spoiler alert, but it's a seven hour play, not many spoilers. Yeah. He will often take control of the narrative sometimes. And they do this thing a lot where a character will say something and then he will interject and he goes, but that's not what they said. What they actually said was, and it's used to good effect sometimes. It gives you the subtext of the scene where you go, okay, like this is what the character's feeling right sure. now, but that's not what they're going to say. Sometimes it's used and you're like, okay, I get it. But other times I thought it was very effective. <sighs> Something that bothered me in general, if not necessarily in the moment, that I can relate to with Howard's End the play is about a very specific pl- class of people, yes. which it acknowledges for a moment. But that's but that's because the book also acknowledges it. And it's hard for me to think less of the play in that respect because it is about a group of people that I am somewhat a part of and know as well and know people who know. Like This is not a world that is foreign to me, these group sure. of gay men. So I can't look down on it because then I'm looking down on the people I care about and who I'm trying to be it myself. We can always be better. That's sort of the whole purpose of the play. It's that line from the good place. What do we owe to each other? What do we mean to each other? How can we be better? And so I'm not saying that, you know, living these lives doesn't justify theatrical work, but there are so, there are so many stretches of time where no one is really doing anything to call out the way they're living or how they're, mishandling the time they have on this earth mm-hmm. with the money with the money they have or the the benefits that, that they have in life and that is a theme in the book that i can understand being revolutionary at the time because howard's end was written in around 1910 1915 around that area about upper middle class and very wealthy uh english people mm-hmm. which honestly up until that point was what a lot of literature was in terms of England. Well, because um, that's because who was reading. Like, you know, those who were reading, yeah. That was their audience. Unless you were Charles Dickens, who wrote, you know, about the lower class, but also that was more in sort of a romantic version. And that's sort of what Howard's End calls out of, you know, literature is being poor is not romantic. It's mm. not something to glamorize. And it's not something to necessarily pity. It's something to do something about. And so the, and there's, and the main characters in Howard's End are also women in the turn of the century. right. So in some ways, I think the translating women in England in around 1910 who are slowly taking ownership of their voice and getting these rights that they, that were denied to them for so long is a very interesting parallel to gay men today who now have rights that were not affordable to them even 10 years ago and are mm. learning to be more vocal in this world. But it's easier to accept the world of Howard's End in 1910 than it is the world of the inheritance now because being aware of poverty and trying to do something about it in a truly like personal level in Howard's end and calling out the hypocrisy of the upper class and of society in general was so revolutionary at that time because information was not so readily available to everyone. You had the newspaper and you, and that was really it and gossip and society was a very small world at the time. When people talked about society, they literally meant about, high-class society. They didn't mean, like, the world and what we owe to each other. And Howard's End is one of those first books to be like, what? Wh- how can we help each other? Because there's... I'm So, as I said, I'm only about 80% into the book, but one of the main characters, Helen, who is kind of a combination of Eric and Toby in the play. But it's, in Howard's End, it's two sisters rather than two boyfriends. Um, and both characters in Howard's End are sort of 
a part of both characters in The Inheritance. The character of Helen, who's very idealistic, she's, you know, when we leave this earth, even, even if you're wealthy, all you leave behind is a little bit of dust and a little bit of money. So you might as well try to change the world for the better and help other people around you. It's what Sondheim talks about in Sunday in the Park with George. You know, we have children and art. That's all we really leave behind. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the legacy of money? Money goes away at some point. You you want to leave this world better than how you found it. And that is truly revolutionary for the time that Howard's End came out, especially for women to say that in the society that they're in. Because all the people around them care about is, well, how much this costs and and what society will think of me in this light. And if I do this, does that affect my reputation? And Helen's kind of like, who the fuck cares about reputation? We're all going to die eventually. Mm. And that is really interesting to read, but that doesn't translate so well into the inheritance because in modern day, we have so much more information. We have different Mm -hmm. ways of communication and, and knowing more about the world and ways to help in the world. And so just saying we need to help each other is not enough. Yeah. And helping one person is wonderful, but there's, there, you are, we are all aware of so much more injustice in the world and news comes out every day of more injustice and it gets really disheartening and sometimes feels like too massive to try to overcome. And the truth is no one person can overcome it. And we as a world can't overcome it all in a day or a year and 30 years, but we can try to keep on doing better. But the inheritance is a lot of pontificating. Mm. Very little actual doing. Correct. Um, and, and you know, they're all, they're, they still have the parallels to Howard's End. Howard's End is also about a country house. Uh, like, it, that, I would say there's one major change that the inheritance makes to the book that I actually really enjoy is there's a plot device in the inheritance, everybody. Sorry, I've been talking a long time. There's a plot point in the inheritance that's also semi a plot point in Howard's End about a, a house up in the country. In the book How- Howard's End, it's literally a a wealthy matron of the Wilcox family loves her country home and decides when she dies, she wants to bequeath it to Margaret Schlegel, I think is her name. It's a German name. Don't sure, ask me. Sure. Sure. Familiar. Which is the, essentially the character of Eric in The Inheritance. And the Wilcox family decides to not, uh, f- uh, not to go forward with this wish and not tell anyone about it. And then that's sort of forgotten for a long time. But that's all really it is. It's, it's, it's this sort of theme of who will inherit England in general. But in this case, it's who will inherit the house. And it's just a country house. A pretty one, but it's a country house. The inheritance, it is two older men who, in the time that their friends were all dying in the 80s, as the AIDS crisis was at its peak, decided to remove themselves from it and move upstate and spent a year just in isolation, ignoring what was happening around them. And then one day, one of them came back to the city for something, saw a friend of theirs who was literally dying, like days away from death. I, and I know John knows this, but I'm saying this to our listeners, and decides to bring them back to the country house because, you know, this man had has the right to die peacefully without the toxicity of New York around them and people not caring for them or seeing them and there's peace and quiet and good air and someone to care for them which is what happens and then the house becomes a um what's a good word for it a i mean kind of like a hospice yeah a hospice i suppose um or a sanctuary almost for men who were dying of aids and couldn't be cared for by the people around them anymore from their loved ones. And 
that's sort of what the home became. And it wasn't that anymore as AIDS research has progressed and men can now have HIV or AIDS and live much longer lives and even go on to have a full life. And so the house has a greater meaning that way in the inheritance. And I thought that was a really wonderful change. Mm. And it does lead to a very big moment at the end of part one, which I know you cried at. I didn't cry. I got a little verklempt, but it was... I didn't cry. Oh, I thought, oh, I thought you said you cried yeah. at the end of part one. No, I, th- I don't know if you were listening to any of my opinions. Oh, I, on, thought, on... I thought you said you cried. I did not. Neither did I. Neither yeah. did I. I got no. a little emotional, but it was more of the... <laughs> you're, you're like, you hate this person. You you said yeah. this the worst person ever. I was like, don't think I said that. No, I definitely didn't cry. It was a long time ago, and I don't listen to you anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a moment that, as you said, very precious, but what made it essentially work for me was the magnitude of the moment when it sort of just kept going, you know, without giving away what the moment is, you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Uh, how it just I kept mean, going? Yeah. How, how could I not? No. Um, yeah, it, it, it was, it was monumental. <laughs> like it, yes. it, it was, it was monumental. Like they, they definitely did not shy away from like, they were like, we're doing the damn thing. We're doing it a balls to the walls. But, um, yeah, that was another one that I struggle with a lot, and I'm still struggling with because, like, I totally see the power to it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and right, I do. I actually do think that if it had been less of a moment, it would have worked. Mm-hmm. It would not have worked. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. Yeah. It, it's, if it's, it's, if it's, you ever decide to read Howard's End, I'd love to get your take on it. Also, and part of the reason why there is narration in The Inheritance is because the narration in Howard's End is very important to the book because E.M. Mm. E. Forster is essentially his own character as a sure. narrator, calling out a lot. Of, like, it's one like of my, the narrator in Arrested Development. Exactly. Well, it's, yeah, Forster basically was sort of the first person to do which Arrested Development takes on, which is when somebody says something and then he's like, it wasn't. Yeah. So, like, literally a character comes on in Howard's End, and she goes, Margaret, Margaret, the most disastrous thing has happened. And he goes, it should be noted this was not the most disastrous thing that could happen. Right. He goes, but the way that, you know, the middle class views things, sure. Yeah. And speaks about gender relations. And there are moments of it that seem a little antiquated, but of course it's 1910. And right. for being the time period it is, in the moment of history that it was, is very progressive thinking about relationships and male and female gender norms and what we mean to each other in a relationship or as how society views us and how sometimes the way society has pressured us to view ourselves sometimes we can you know inflict that on ourselves yeah i mean push comes to shove you 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 can't deny the fact that there are many high points in the show yeah i think it's definitely worth seeing as well part one i would say part one i found to be more inventive in terms of how it was going about telling the story but i found part two to be more compelling because i thought it dramatically was more interesting same more happened in part two and people call it melodramatic and sure like yes a lot of theater is melodramatic just deal with it but there was more plot there was more character development and i was more engaged that way but part one i thought was a little more tasteful i guess if that makes sense in terms Mm. of in terms of how it went about going through it if i feel like part two just sort of put the pedal to the metal and was like, fuck subtlety, fuck theatrical inventiveness, just plot, 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 plot. And but you know, you know, you win, you gain something from that, and you lose something from that for both parts. Sure, yeah. So the cast trailer. 
We've talked about it already. We have. Um, <laughs> or yeah, sorry. I this has been a big episode of me talking, and I apologize. But she then has again, opinions, folks. She has opinions, she but has then again, she saw a lot opinions. of things. She's seen a lot of things. She's like a sponge, just sucking up anything she can. Yeah, like a sponge. Sure, that. Um, yeah, I actually don't know if I have anything on the docket that I'm seeing up in the next couple of weeks, but I definitely want to try to see Slave Play. Mm-hmm. Um, you of all people definitely should see Slave Play. Yeah, and there were some other things I was, I was maybe looking at, but I'll hopefully try to get to see some more theater. Yeah, well, there's good theater to see. Yeah, well, this has been <laughs> such a pleasure as always. As always, John. Who are we trying to, or who are we thinking for sending us out today? It's a great question. Let me grab my handy-dandy laptop with the list of all the bitches we have. I say bitches endearingly, everybody. But I feel like I'm trying to think of someone who is just like a surefire we haven't had them yet. They're um, planned. I know, and that's what I'm, I'm trying to think of. Um, um, we... Hold on. So... We've had Christine Ebersole. We haven't. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, I was like, we've either had her or we haven't. Those are the only two options. No, we have... So, some big ones we still haven't had are Christine Ebersole, Kristen Chenoweth, Liz Calloway. Oh, God. Uh, Liz Calloway. There was another one I was going to say. Fuck. I forget already. God damn it. Kelly O'Hara, I don't think we've had yet. No, we had to have had Kelly O'Hara. I'm positive. No, we've had Victoria Clark. We haven't had Kelly O'Hara. We haven't had Jesse Mueller yet, or... Yeah, bitch, there are a lot of people. We've we also you did stupid ones like Jen Cody, but then again, I also made us do Allison Jeer. So, like you know, we've had a bunch of them. We've had Christine Baranski, Vanessa okay. Hudgens. Well, the, I, my first was the Ebersol, so let's just go with let's go Chris, with some Christine Ebersol. Yeah, another winter in a summer town. That's exactly what I was hoping for. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening today, guys. Be sure to like and subscribe. Like and, and subscribe and write a little reviews review. and all those really fun things. I'm you trying can, to get better at saying it. You can find John Miscavige on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find Matt on there as well. Just Instagram. He doesn't have a Twitter. He doesn't. Twitter is not enough characters for my opinions. You're, you're sh- like shocked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hashtag shocked. It's called being self-aware. Hear um, that, Diane Paulus? Anywho, God, Finding Neverland and now Jackie Little Pill. I am I was coming gonna, for I her. I was going to say she's she's she has her target set and she has the <laughs> no the gun loaded. If you were to tell her there's this gay on a podcast who has these opinions about you, she'd probably hear the the opinions and she go, "I don't have time to even remember the name that just said that. Just throw it out into the ocean and feed it to the sharks. What do I care? I'm Diane Paulus." Which is fine. She might say that. I truly don't Listen, know. Listen, she's she's created a life and a career for herself, which is something I only hope to do by the time I'm 90. Well, <laughs> which, reach, reach for the stars. Yeah, reach for the stars, baby. So yeah, we'll do Christine Ebersol. Anyway, this is Broadway Breakdown. Hashtag justice for Mike. <laughs> this is, we'll see you later. Yeah. Uh, catch great- us next week when I produce that Little Mermaid video episode. Video episode. Perfect. Bye time. Anyway, yes, bye guys. Thank you so much for listening up until this point. Sorry about it. Have a blessed day. <laughs> bye. Thank you, Christine. My season ended a long time ago, but no one took the party tent down. All alone now. The pink paper lantern still twinkles.
Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 